You know, there's a strange, albeit sincere and well-intended message that we often give to young people today, and that is, you can do anything or be anything you want to be. The sky's the limit. This has always bothered me because, frankly, it isn't true. It's not fair to young people. There aren't infinite spaces in the NBA, for example. And from the tall and the wiry and talented to the clumsy short kid, even those who love basketball, most won't make it to the big leagues. Likewise, what if when I was growing up, I wanted to be a horse jockey? Can you imagine the disappointment that I would have had during the summer between my seventh and eighth grade years when I grew six inches, right? At six feet, seven inches tall, I would have been laughed right off the racetrack. In fact, the only time I ever sat on a horse, it was a nightmare. The stupid thing kept trying to bite my legs. Apparently wasn't used to a normal-sized person being on his back. I was a nervous wreck. So in reality, because we, just because we want something doesn't mean we have the God-given talents and gifts to be doctors, professional athletes, painters, or presidents, whatever. We're setting kids up sometimes for failure. There is one thing that we can say, however, to every human being that is perhaps a little bit more accurate. That is, God created all of us to succeed. As we hear in St. John's Gospel, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Or St. Paul, who said, eye has not seen or ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. God loves each of us, and he longs for our good in this life and in the next. But success by our definition and by God's is not always the same. Even the disciples, two of the inner, of the inner circle of the apostles get this wrong. And this is one of the lessons in store for James and John in our gospel today, who long for the earthly success of sitting at the Lord's right and left when he enters into his kingdom, which they think is going to be an earthly one. This is a highly political request, for in Jesus' day, the man who sat on the right and left of the king had his ear, and thus determined who got an audience with the king. So the man at the right and the left of the king they were very powerful. And James and John define success then as we often do, that is, to be at the head of the pack. A lot of nice things to show for it as well. To be better than everyone else as we compete with them. No wonder the other apostles became annoyed with them. I mean, wasn't the role of being the apostle of the king of the universe enough for them? How arrogant can we sometimes be? Jesus tells them that they don't have a clue what they're asking. This is because God defines success in supernatural ways, if you will, that are foreign to sometimes our preconceived notions of worldly success. Contrary to what we think, Jesus teaches us that, in fact, the goal isn't to succeed in our dreams. Rather, success means we search, find, discern and succeed in fulfilling the dreams that God has for us. And at the top of that list is that we will be with him in this world and most especially in the next. So if we're successful in a divine sense, we don't write our own job descriptions. Rather, we come into this world 
with a divine job description, with all the physical, emotional, spiritual, and intellectual gifts that we will need to live out God's dream for each of us. It is our job to prayerfully determine what the the divine job description is and actually to carry it out as best we can. One of the greatest examples of this is the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. This month, of course, we celebrate and honor Mary. God needed an, or wanted an important and specific job to be done. He needed a mother for his divine son, so he created a woman that was fully capable of living this dream, a woman born free of sin and redeemed by the anticipated merits of her son to be the vessel that brought forth the Savior. No other human being before or since could have fulfilled her role in salvation history, no matter how strong their ambition to do so. Notice, too, that Mary had free will. For when God's divine plan begins to unfold, he sent the angel Gabriel and gave Mary a choice. He asked for her cooperation in his plan and, of course, in humility and also because she knew what would make her most happy in this life and in the next, Mary said yes, she would do his will. This is very much in keeping with Jesus' words in our gospel today. That is, to sit at my right and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. So does this mean that we are robots playing out some sort of divine chess game? Absolutely not. But what is true is that God has an intended destination for each of us. Whether we attain the destination or not depends on our willingness to cooperate with the God of the universe and his plan for us, just as Mary did. So why did God set it up this way? Why can't we do anything and be anything that we want to be? that is so prominent and politically correct in our world today. I mean, this was certainly in the minds of James and John when they asked who would sit on Jesus' right and left. Because sometimes it kills our spirits. Often it is the case that living our dreams causes unbridled ambition, rivalry, unhealthy competition, selfishness, and greed. We call this simply the rat race. And it's often said... Even when you win the rat race, sometimes we become rats. You have created a monster within that is nothing that God intends for you and for your life. So Jesus teaches us this new vision for us. It includes a redeemed sense of success. That is, a world defined by love, cooperation, and the underlying sense that God's will for all of us is to be successful in bringing about the kingdom of God. Failure comes when we spend our lives vying for the dream that God has for someone else. James and John teach us a valuable lesson about Christian discernment. That is, when we think of life in terms of earthly ambition alone, we destroy our true destiny, our relationship with others, and eventually, possibly, our relationship with God. So what if we simply ask today, Lord, what is your will for me in my life? And then ask for the grace to simply fulfill that mission that he has in store for each of us.
how much more happy would each of us be?